Daniel Robus joins the podcast today. A people leader, entrepreneur, customer-focused executive, making an impact to the lives he touches every moment. On the professional side, Dan has had some successful and impactful missions across Southern Africa, Angola, Botswana, the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, the UK, Europe, USA, and Australia for applications solutions. Over the years, I've known Daniel. One of the things that always grabbed my attention was his extremely positive outlook and approach to life. I've asked Dan to come on today to talk to me a little bit about his journey, his leadership approach, and also some of the lessons that he's learned along the way. Dan, super pumped to have you here, man. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, awesome. What a privilege. Uh, it's so nice to connect with people around the globe. Because I can't be there in person, I think Teams is the next best thing. I'd love to shake your hand, give you a hug, and just find out how life is because it's boom. <laughs> it's such an important thing that uh, that us as, as uh, professionals and leaders keep together because it's our obligation to lift up the next layer. And sometimes that gets tiring. And that's why we need sessions like this to fill up the tank, just to just to get back into the zone of why we're on this mission. And I think the why is so important, why we choose to be in this environment and why we choose to work in this environment. We're not forced, which is unlike probably 75%, 80% of the world are forced into their situations. You and I get to choose what we do, and that's a privilege. And that's something that I don't take for granted. That's why I run every day, every single day. I run and I smile because there's people in traffic who can't. You know, they can't because they shackled into that job that they've got to because they don't have any other choice. We are spoiled for choice. And Rashan, I've followed your career for years and I see how you've made wise choices because you've had good mentors that have shown you the way. And I think um, that that now that we're getting into our mature years, we have to go back and fill up other people that they can make the same choice and change the world. That's our obligation. And, and that's why life rocks. You know, it only rocks if you let it. So when you get me in a discussion like this, it's a little bit like sipping from a fire hydrant. You just slow me down, tell me what you want, and I'll I will give you the unfettered I, truth. I just love the stuff. I, I love the way you, I love the gratitude that you bring into every conversation uh, that you have. Like I, so I, I know you for many years, right? But I haven't had the chance to reconnect with you in a long time. But I, I remember crystal clearly my engagements with you during the time that we spent together about your your positive attitude, your outlook to life, but overall your gratitude. And obviously, you just displayed it there in a couple of minutes, right? So I want to talk about your journey, but before I get there, sure. tell me a little bit about this gratitude and this continuous positive outlook that you have on everything. Like, where does it come okay. from? Okay. What's behind that? So um, without getting metaphysical and um, <laughs> I'm so blessed on a daily basis that the odds are I shouldn't be here. So growing up for me was kind of akin to playing table tennis on the Titanic when it was sinking. I went to nine different schools. Um, my father left when I was very young. Um, my mother had quite a few run-ins with substance abuse and and it wasn't an ideal place to uh, grow up. It wasn't the white picket fence. She did the best that she could. 
and um, and I owe her that. Um, but there were some rocky times, and I remember um, my brother saying, "You know, we've actually just got to man up and be who we are." And that didn't sit well with me because I wasn't the strong one. You know, he's the strong one, and. Then I, I I thought about choices and every situation you get into, you make a choice. You make a choice on how you're going to perceive that situation. And it's almost like a recovering alcoholic when you've been in, in a bad situation. Every time you're confronted with another situation, you make a choice. Yes or no, good or bad. And you can see it from that perspective and you create the reality that's around you. And I'll give you a very distinct South African example. So for your listeners who are based in the US or Canada, you're probably not familiar with this, but crime is quite prevalent where we come from. And I remember um, my daughter and I were in an armed robbery. Wow. Actually, um, well up when I think about it, but um, um, we were in this robbery and they took us into our house and, and there was this interaction that I had with this man who was doing his job, which was holding me up with a gun and I was holding my, wow. my three-year-old. And I thought to myself, I can, I can succumb to the situation or I can be who I am. And I said to him, you know, this must be a tough way to make a living. And he said, you know, it's, it's really not what I chose. But it's where I am, and um, he was he was saying, "Where's the money?" And I said, "The money's over there. It's in a box. We had a box with money in case this happened, and about a thousand dollars worth of money because we wanted people to take it and go." I mean, he came back and he threw the money on the the, the bed, and he said, "There's no money here," and there was there was like a hundred bucks left or whatever because I'd been dipping into this money to pay for the plumber and all the rest of it. My wife didn't know. And I looked at him and I said, my wife, she spent it. She probably bought jewelry. And he laughed. He said, you know, my wife does the same thing. And once we had laughed, I realized the oak's not going to shoot me. You know, once you've, you've shared something. Wow. So I think that um, in in every interaction that I have, I try and find the positive in that split second or else it becomes overwhelming. You know, living in the third world is quite difficult. Living in a in in a in in a place like South Africa can just wash over you, and you can be be you can be a crumbling mess if you let it. But then there's so many little miracles that we get to be part of every single day that it can just fill you up, and you can say, "Hey, I'm making a difference in this world so easily." Now, I walk out my door and I can be part of a miracle in South Africa. And that's what I enjoy. And and again, you know, my my hashtag is life rocks if you let it. Because life is just, we don't get a second chance at this one, Rashad. This is it, dude. This is what we get. And why not live the best life that you can? Why not just freaking enjoy every minute, even the even the horrible bits? You know, there's stuff to learn in there. If you if you look at it, and let's take parenting. I mean, like, like how difficult is this parenting, or how amazing is it that we get to be part of parenting? And it's it's just a choice. You know, it can be terrible or it can be flipping awesome. You know, so I prefer to to have a positive outlook. And sometimes I have to fool myself. 
you know, sometimes I'm I'm dealing with a customer or I'm I'm dealing with somebody and they're just not nice people. You know, these corporate vampires that suck the <laughs> blood and the energy. And I have to interact with them. But I put on a smile and I say to myself, you know what, maybe they've got a problem at home that I don't know about. Maybe they're dealing with stuff that I can't help with because I don't know about it. But I can be kind to them. And I can just give them a little bit of a break. They can be ugly to me. I won't bite them. And maybe that'll make them feel better. So it's all a choice. So, yeah. So anyway, I so, grew up with that. We got distracted. I, I, I went off on a tangent. But No, so but, no, totally. So this Good whole growing up stuff. stuff was difficult for me. But I was surrounded by amazing teachers at all of these nine schools. And they showed me that there was hope. That, that there's a way out of this stuff, you know. They were just there teaching me and, and opening this world of, of novels and literature and geography and just this whole different place that I had never been exposed to. So I just dived into fantasy worlds and I dived into reading and, and I managed to escape that way. So I was a bit of a coward. You know, my brother would my brother would stand up and he would fight the fight and, and I would disappear into a book and the book would take me away and the fighting would take him somewhere else. So we grew up as these two individuals that were looking after sisters and, and different men and different ideologies. And and I just found um, that that it was a cool thing to do. I didn't have to be a man who never cried. You know, I could cry because in the books, all my heroes were these exposed, open people. And it, the difficulty with exposing yourself to the world is you're exposed to hurt as well. And it can be quite scary. But if you build that shell, you miss more than you do if it's open. So, yeah, I took that kind of Zen moment when I was about 12. And it stood me in good stead ever since. Okay. So, a, a lot in there, right? And I really want to come back to the Life Rocks component that you talked about. And then I also want to come back to the leadership component that you talked about, just in terms of regurgitating a lot of those life lessons and the positive outlook that you've applied. Before I get there, Dan couple of things you talked about, right? Because going through those challenges, there's a ton of these types of conversations that occur where challenges do exist, mm -hmm. but then there's a way you can apply your outlook on things. And then there's a way that you make a choice to essentially see the positive outlook on specific difficult situations that you're in. That's one thing. I love how you count your blessings, by the way, very admirable. But there's another thing with being consistent with that. There's another thing with continuously having that in your mindset. So again, you and I are having this conversation because over the many years that I've known you, I've seen that consistency. Mm -hmm. Like that life rocks thing was not a mm -hmm. one and done thing. <laughs> it was a continuous thing, right? Yeah. There's that yeah. consistency. So I'd love to yeah. tap into how do you, two questions. How do you keep that consistent, okay. number one? Okay. And then number two, what is a bad day for okay. death? Okay. Uh, so let's go into consistency. Have you ever run a marathon? Never. No. Okay. All right. So um, so one of the things that I do just for your, your audience is um, I run quite a lot. I run, I surf, I hike, I climb, any any sport I love. Um, but running is, is, is probably right up there. And when you're running a marathon, that's 26.2 um, miles, you don't pitch up on the Saturday and say, I'm going to run a good marathon. You can, the extreme people that are out there that can just go and do it. But you 
understand that the marathon usually starts 12 weeks before and it starts with that first Tuesday when you get up and you say, okay, today I'm going to go and run for 40 minutes. And then the the second week I'm running for 60 minutes or 70 minutes or I'm running fast or I'm doing hills or whatever repeats. And consistency comes through by understanding the goal is not achieved in one day. The goal is more of a life change and the path that you get there. And if I've trained for a marathon, or, or let's take an extreme marathon, if I'm doing 100Ks or, or whatever in the mountains, if I'm not doing the consistent stuff before that Rashan never sees, he's never going to see me get that medal at the end. In addition to that, for myself, if I do all of this training and I don't believe in the goal, which is not the race, the goal is to do something significant in my life over a period of time. The race is just the cherry on the top, the medal. It's actually for your family and your friends. It's the outward gratification that you get for the inward change that you've made. And that's how I applied it on from a professional level is I'm very dis disorganized. I'm, I'm, I'm like not consistent when it comes to admin. Give me a presentation. Give me a change process. Let me work with a team in my in my area of gifting. I'm completely focused and I love it. And I'll do it and I find it easy. Doesn't mean I, I, I can get away with not doing the admin. Those are the things getting up early in the morning to do that have to come through. And the two run in parallel. And in my opinion, great things are achieved by small inspiration consequential things that are done on a daily basis that add up to significant movements and that's why i like to to um, apply this this consistency on every choice every time you're making a choice it needs to be i'm cognizant that i could do two things i can go left or right i can say yes or no i can be negative or positive it's my choice. It's not Rashan telling me how to feel or act or whatever. It's my choice. So when I speak to young people about where they're going and work, the first thing, as I said to them, it's do you want to be your own CEO or do you want to be a worker? Do you want a job or do you want a life? These are choices that you start making and you make them from 12 or you make them from 19. Or you make them when you listen to a podcast like this because some idiot from around the world sparks an interest. It's never too late to make that choice. But then once you understand that you can own your destiny, the difficulty comes in when you when you you stop stop making those choices and you let life drive you and the winds blow you all over. Then you start to get uncomfortable because you know that's not who you're meant to be. You meant to be steering that ship. Let me go back. I'm, I'm skipping over a huge amount of things in the fundamentals of life. I believe there's family, there's friends, there's work, there's yourself and there's God. And whatever your ethnicity is and your belief system and that, I'm going to come from, from my understanding, which is a Christian background, is that the highest purpose I have is to do something as if I was doing it for God. If I do that, when I treat my wife in a certain way, I'm going to be honoring her differently from if I was doing it from a man-made thing. If I'm doing something for you like this talk 
am I doing this talk for Rashan or for the honor of something higher? And in my context, I call that God. Then my life gets into balance really quickly. Then it's easy to balance. You know, should I be at work at the pub on a Friday afternoon when I've already put in all this time? Or do I think it's time for that friend who actually needs me or my daughters or my wife or myself? You see, then balance is easily achieved and then I can be focused on consistency. It's all about the why of why we are alive. And if you find that why, you will see a lot of a lot of our friends, Rashan, in what we do. High rollers, big money makers, like emperors of industry are always pushing for something external. I believe they've got a big hole sitting inside their heart that they haven't filled and they're not peace. They're not at peace. If you get that at peace, then you can deal with the world in a very different way. Then your leadership style is different. Then your interaction is different. Then your sales style is different because you're not desperate for that external affirmation. And, and let me just tell you, I love the limelight. I love the stage. I love people. I'm, I'm cut when people say, you presented terribly. That cuts me to the bone. But it doesn't make me who I am. It doesn't define. That hole, there's a space there. God's got that hole. I'm okay. He loves me irrespective. Even if I have a terrible interview, still loves me. So, so that kind of thing comes into play when we're balancing this out and how do we work? And then that discipline comes in. It's not hard because I'm doing it not for Daniel. I'm not doing it for the company. There's something bigger than that that we work towards and we work that into our lives. It becomes a lot easier to do the hard yards and we'll come to the hard yards. The hard yards don't go away because you have a solid foundation, but they do become bearable and they do become easier to go through. It's easier to smile when you're in pain, when you've got something bigger than you at stake. You know what I mean? If there's no meaning to what you're doing, you see, that's the difference between stress and pressure for me. Stress is when it's weighing me down and it's hard and it's like there's no there's no reason. Pressure is like, come on, let's rock this thing. We've got a lot to do. It's against all odds, but we can do it. Those are the, the two different ones. And again, when you know, when we talk to young people that are coming through, it's really important that in the beginning of their careers, they get that distinction, the difference between stress and pressure. So working in your area of gifting versus trying to fake it for someone else, our parents, you know, you get, we talk about, Rashan, your background in Indian family expectation. You've got to be a doctor. Or you're not good <laughs> enough. Do you know? He's a data scientist. Rashan is a data scientist. Your mother's carrying on. But actually, you want to be a piano teacher. You know, you can be a data scientist. You're going to have so much stress in your life. Or you can be a piano teacher and you can have pressure because you've got kids that you're teaching. and pick. It's all different. So, so I try and get people to understand their, their areas of gifting as early as possible balance as quickly as possible and then accept the fact that sometimes you just got to work very hard for no thanks. First 10 years of your career, you got to work like a Trojan. Make your boss look fantastic. Look for nothing. Volunteer for everything. Dive into any opportunity you can. 
work like there's no balance so that you can um, get a foundation of that's different from everyone else. So, sorry, there's there's a shitload in there that you wow, might, you wow, might wow. just Power, cut powerful out. stuff. But, powerful. Uh, Listen, I love one of the hardest things to do, especially in the worlds we live in, is to acknowledge your faith and be authentic with your faith in terms of who you are as an individual religiously right and so i love that you you kind of put your heart on your sleeve there and you're just your authentic self just in terms of who you are what your faith represents in your life mm. and i would love to transition that into leadership like i want you to tell me a little bit about what does leadership mean to you mm. and uh, you know maybe how does your faith play a role in the way you lead as well mm. That's such an interesting um, question because some people try, it's almost like church and state the difference. And and when you walk through the office doors, you leave Rashan behind and you become this, 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 this drone and, and you can't actually do that. You, you, in, it's part of us as, as human beings, we are all spiritual and this is an important part of us. It makes us who we are. It's it's your judge on how you decide on how you're going to deal with conflict situations, happy situations. How do you celebrate things? That and culture are things that should be celebrated. They shouldn't be androgenized. And I see a lot of that in popular culture. You know, they they're trying to make us forget men and women. They're trying to forget Muslim, Hindu, Christian. You know, they're trying to make us into things that are not, in my opinion, the richness that gives us dialogue and finds interesting solutions to things. So let me start by by saying that I walked in the desert for a very long time and I didn't have a strong faith behind me. And due to a couple of miracles, and that's a whole different discussion, which we won't get into today. That being said, every time you make a decision as a leader, you need to be accountable to someone. And that's probably the most common thing that I use from a leadership perspective is who's watching me when no one's there. So. I was going to say to you earlier, can you imagine doing life without having God with you? And then I thought, no, I better not because this is the wrong kind of thing. But can you imagine leading people without having someone bigger than you that you can look to and ask like advice and, and lay things at their feet and just be accountable to? It must be so lonely and scary. So, so for me, to sum up what my faith does is that somebody like my name is Daniel and the, the translation for Daniel is let God be my judge. That's a big label to walk around with when you're trying to make decisions and you're trying to do things and, you know, maybe there's a corner to cut here and maybe I don't need to do that session and and you know maybe I can be a bit flippant with my response to this this person that I'm leading and then you you have that reminder whoa what if that god is sitting in that chair right there would you deal with that situation in the same way would I put in just a little bit more effort 
to make it super special? Would I honestly talk to that person in that way? So those things, there's always a chair at my table. Actually, a very good friend of mine, Elwyn Weir, he works at one of the big companies here. He, he, he and I have a thing when we have a meeting, there's always a spare chair for Jesus. And it's like, <laughs> what do you mean? So we have to hold ourselves accountable. And whether that's, whether that's Allah or whether that is Krishna or whomever it is, just remember, you are never alone in this thing. So you don't have to carry the weight of it, but you do have to carry the responsibility for it. So as a as a leader, you, I believe we should always be striving to be one step ahead. We should be one step above, one element higher than what is expected of us. And we can do that by holding ourselves to a higher standard, all with humility and love. There is such a place for love in the workplace. And love for me, love in English just doesn't do it. There's not enough ways to express love. And I think it's lacking so much in how we deal with people is because they're almost transient. You know, they're moving in and they're moving out. This gig economy is encouraging short relationships. Our phones are talking about short relationships. That's not that 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 isn't what we are built for. We are built for relationship, for genuine, strong, deep, powerful relationships. If you tell one of your staff with love that they actually are performing badly, and how we're going to improve this, how can they not improve? You know, how, if you tell someone bad news with love in your heart, honestly, that you're talking to their best interests and you have to let them go, how can there not be a good outcome that comes from it? And maybe we don't see it in a month, a week, a year, a quarter or whatever, but I really think if, if one of your pillars as a leader is love, is genuine feeling for your people for for that, you, you are 80% on the right the right track the rest is learning skills and and skills can be taught you know but you, this genuine feeling for people and let me tell you i am am i allowed to say a bad word yeah absolutely i'm a shit <laughs> manager i'm not a manager i'm a dreadful manager so and and the reason for that is is management has got so much to do with consistency in being there, I love having my own time. You know, to be an effective manager, you got, I believe you've got to be available to your team. You've got to be in there before and after. It's a whole different vibe. I'm not a great manager. Um, I may lead differently and, and play a leadership role. Often, I think um, somebody said it right. My thing is like the, the cement between the bricks. That's where I play. No one knows what I, I do, but you feel me if I'm not there. Whereas your good manager is that brick that gives a foundation to a department, a company, uh, um, a division or whatever. Man, you're going to give me the chills every time I ask you a question and you respond. <laughs> like, this is such good stuff. You know, talking about translations of terminologies and you describing what your name meant there. I love the whole description around the holding yourself accountable as well, right? Uh, you know, you yes. covered a lot about your consistency. You covered a lot about making a choice to determine the positive outlook in every situation. 
And then you talked about the accountability as well. I want to translate that into something that you consistently, uh, consistently display and live by, which is called the yeah. Life Rocks Consulting. What does that yes. mean? What is this platform? Um, okay, super so to know what it's about. Um, so the long and the short is I was very fortunate um, to work with a bunch of people for many years at our factory, and then we sold into a big corporation. And that lasted about four years, and I had a great time there. I learned so much uh, in this this big international SI. Um, but what I should have done was moved out of um, our previous ERP environment where you and I worked, and I, sh I should have moved into their, their more German ERP, which is the other side of the, the coin. For any of you listeners who are in yeah, we won't say what it is. Um, and I learned there for me if i move into an organization i need to be in the mainstream of the organization not on the periphery so you either in the core business or you, you mustn't be at that organization um and and uh, i wasn't so just before covid covid hit i was i met up with another friend and he was launching an rpa business a robotic process automation organization and i was like gung-ho i want to go into own my own thing again uh, we went into rpa COVID hit and you can't have someone like me working on a twenty thousand dollar deal i I'm, I'm just too expensive and it wasn't selling and we had a very honest chat and it just wasn't working and i didn't want a job i wanted to start a company in whatever so i moved away from that and i thought what can i do on my own in a third world environment like south africa um where you know rishon the the job market compared to where you are in canada is is tiny for our skills compared to the rest of the world and my wife if you cut her she bleeds africa so it, whilst there's this lots of people leaving South Africa, I think we'll probably be second last to leave. She she loves Johannesburg. We have our home here, our lives here, and, and we're not going. So it's not an option for me to have um, go and live in the UK. I, I got a couple of good offers in the UK. It's a bit scary living on the soggy marsh. We like the sun. Um, and it, then I met someone who is saying, well, we it was actually a customer of Jackie's saying, why don't you come and facilitate these round tables for us? And I started facilitating these discussions and you can clearly see I talk more than I facilitate. You're much better at this than I am. <laughs> and I was facilitating round tables and then doing the Tech Central podcast. There's a, a plug for me, techcentral.co.za. And just loving that and people were enjoying what was coming back. And, um, you know, in the, and then, facilitating sales training and sales management and sales director and that because I realized that I love selling. I love changing organizations through other people. I don't like doing it myself. And you know that. I mean, it's I, I love presenting to customers, but I don't want it. I hate cold calling. Cold calling is just so not me. I want to get into a discussion like this. I want to do some funky stuff with you, enable a team and and then I thought, well, but everything's telling you to do this. 
why don't you offer those services almost on a pay to play? So sales coaching is one thing. How do pitch and 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 how to present and all of that lots and lots of people do it they don't do it like i do so i can give them that opportunity so one of the things i do is um i i will sit in on a customer's pitch in the the build up to a pitch and help them make it something different you know you rishon i know we've been through this discussion you know who are we? How many offices do we have? How many employees do we have? I, it's like nobody gives a shit. They, <laughs> they're not there for that. They want to see how this, this organization is going to change by the introduction of your solution. And I make that whiz bang. So that's one of the things. And it's like we do it over Zoom. We have a couple of sessions and we get so pitching perfectly. The other one is. We change you to get it to move to Teams, by the way. But go on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, we get it on Teams. And <laughs> then the 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 other thing I do is is opportunity reviews. So thirty five percent of time is spent selling. The rest of the time is doing stuff. So are you selling the right deal to the right people? So I'll interview Rashan and the team that's pitching. A, a deal you've qualified it in why have you qualified it in how does it look let's talk around the solution you're pitching and i quiz you on it and say to you no Rishon, you've missed lots and lots of things or else wow that's amazing and let's go with that pitch so that's the other one and then sales direct on demand which is sitting making sure volume velocity and value are there from a pipeline perspective so let's look at the health of your pipeline is it going where you want it to? Is there an upward trajectory? Are your team members focused in the right areas? And and I do that as a service. And it's like that rocks because it keeps my squirrel intellect going. I do a lot of different things and I can be overwhelming. I mean, can you imagine putting up with this every day for eight hours a day? My wife deserves a medal. So that energy level comes in bursts where you need it. and. And people are enjoying it. And it gives me time. I run every day. I don't wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I run at eight in the morning because it's a sensible time and I've taken my girls to school. You know what I mean? That <laughs> rocks my world. So I love the description of the transition from the organizations that you were in, just in terms of the role and responsibility that you had, and then how you've transitioned that into your own entrepreneurial activity yeah. to hit and really exercise a lot of your skills, a lot of your qualities, but build that on the back of a foundation on a term and a platform that you really believe in. Yeah. All those things are great and all those things sound extremely positive. But as an entrepreneur, a lot of the time, there's failure that comes with entrepreneurship as well, right? There's massive risk that comes with that. I'd love for you to describe one failure that you've had as an entrepreneur yeah, you, and how you've been able to overcome that. That's such a difficult question, and you, and you sent that there, the, the, and I'm going to give you some um, free counseling, which you can use for yourself or, or for the <laughs> listeners. Decide if you want a job, if you want a career or project. Okay, I'll tell you the difference between the two, the, the, between the three. The, the job is somewhere where you sit and you just overbroke for the rest of your life. A career is is a made up term in order to box us as humans on a trajectory and a career is either going up or down 
It's a straight line. If you decide you're going to take your life, your working life as projects, then you give yourself flexibility to change. And let's say Rashan goes in and takes a project to go and work in the jungles of Guatemala to look after the cloud forests and then decides to come and be an analyst from an IT perspective and then decides to go and work putting water in Somalia and then decides to come back and, and work in coding and, and start something. Project has a start and an end date and it may fail, but it doesn't define your life. I've seen people close to suicide because their careers have gone like this because of COVID and because the job market's closed up because they're no longer a great accountant because there's no accounting jobs. That's bullshit. They're still great accountants. It's just there's no opportunity for them at this stage in that project. So so when I was looking at that question, um, I just wanted to say that you are, are distinct from those business decisions that you make. You may have made stupid decisions and no one has made more stupid decisions than me. And you deal with those consequences, but be very careful about labeling failure in your own life when it comes to a man-made construct like work and a career. Rather look at your life in projects because then you give yourself permission to say, listen, I'm done with this project. I've actually had enough of working at this, this big firm. I'm going to go and teach for a season. And you give yourself the opportunity to step out and start a new project. It's a very freeing thing. It's a very, it's a very, uh, I'm looking for a fancy English word, which means it's a very comforting thought that you can start again. And at 47 to start again, you know, if I had to start my career again, it's quite scary. But if I start a project on facilitating and, and being on demand and whatever, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's it rocks. I'm doing some new stuff. I mean, when last, honestly, Rashan, did you get up and do something for the first time? Hey, that's, that's amazing. Doing a first time. When I, when I take people through their first marathon, saying, don't wear your watch. Don't look at your watch because you're doing it for the first time. You will never get a first time again. The first time you kissed a girl, the first time you climbed a tree, the first time you went diving, those moments are just precious. Don't take them away from yourself at work. Don't label yourself in this career that just goes on that trajectory. It's either up or down. Up means you're like a rock star. No, you're not. You're probably snorting coke. You've got a mistress. <laughs> you, you're like this burnt out human that's working 90 hours a week. You've got the, that's career. That, that shit, that's so over. You know, all you going down and you're, you, that's, that's career. That's what they want you to believe. That's what the system wants to force you into. Take projects. So let me tell you about failed projects. We sold a very successful business into a, a, a big SI, a big company, big, big company, bought our company. 70 people, great, and they took me in there. What I should have done was either join the mainstream business or I should have said, thanks very much, I'm going to start my own thing now. Because once you get off the entrepreneurial bandwagon, your ability to generate cash is a skill that you lose really quickly. And I call it the treadmill of money. The treadmill 
that regular income that's coming through that allows you to do crazy things. That was possibly my biggest mistake that I've made in my in my working career. I got off the treadmill and I gave that away. And, and we got a, a nice payout. So from a Canadian terms, um, it's not our economy is significantly smaller. Um, so I got out enough and, and Tanya and Rich, you know, we paid off houses and cars and we were free from debt and, and we, it was amazing. Only five years later, do you realize how much you've lost? And if you are an entrepreneur and you're working for yourself, when you are selling your company to somebody and you're going to go and work for them, understand the opportunity loss that you've got from the treadmill and from time. There's one commodity you will never get when you're working at a big corporate, and that's time. When you work for yourself, when you've got your own organization and, and your own means of generating wealth, and, and I use wealth specifically, not money, then you can take the time that you want and you're your own boss. And that is the most liberating thing ever. Um, when we were part of our own company, uh, our aim was two months to three months leave a year. That shit don't go down in the corporate. And how do you see the world if you've got restricted time when you can go away? And let me tell you how underrated leave is from a creativity perspective. You know, I met a guy in the jungles in, in Brazil who spoke nine different languages, including Russian and Mandarin. And he was a hobo living on the side of the, the road. And we spent an afternoon with him. Jackie and I spent an afternoon with him. If we had a 10-day break, we couldn't have done that. But we had a month that we could do that. So, so again, not for you, Rashawn. It's too late. You're old. For the young people <laughs> that are listening, buy freedom for yourself in time. Try get to a point where you can work in an organization because you want to, not because you need to. And there are little things that you can do in your life that will give you that freedom. So what do I mean by that? You want to buy yourself financially free so that the money you're making is building your future. So remember those people, Rashan, you'll remember that. When we were young, they came and spoke to us about endowment policies, stock exchange, yeah. Bitcoin, all of that stuff. They were right. They were right. Put away your 10% right from the beginning. Don't buy the fancy $50 t-shirt. Put that money away. Put it away. Put it away. Put it away. Because very soon you'll be in the driving seat and you'll be able to tell people what to do. They won't tell you. And what it does, if you are, if that financial freedom is there, it gives you freedom of choice where you can then agree or disagree with someone. And you have the means to say, actually, you know what? It's too hard. I can go somewhere. I want to study my MBA. I want to take a year and go and do it. I can do it. And don't expect that from your parents, whoever's listening. Don't expect that from your partner. You do that by making sensible choices, by investing in things that are valuable, buy a stuffing car, a new phone. These things are transient. Buy courses, 
spend time on intellect, meet with people that are clever, invest your money that it's going to pay for you, take responsibility for your life so you can go and travel. And then you can, then you can lead your life. That's the, that's the first thing. Lead your life. Rashawn, lead your life. Just lead your life. Don't let it be led. Uh, must I say it again? Lead your life. Power, Dan. Magic. Magic. I love it. I want to ask you one more question before cool. we end up our conversation. You know, there's so much of lessons learned in this conversation. There's so much of inspiration, so much of golden nuggets, as I call it, that come out just from having a chat with you. Long, long, long from now, much further down the line, when the coil is burnt out on the journey, what is it that you want to be remembered for? For being a dad, for being a husband. That's all of this, the the work people and, and especially your younger execs, your middle managers that are there late at night. And I know the environment you work in. They expect long hours from you. They expect a lot. You miss your daughter's first step because you had a meeting in an evening. You'll never get that back. On your on your gravestone, they're not going to say Rashan made that tender briefing at eight o'clock at night. Remember that. Those people in your life are the most important. Treat them as such. And I'm not saying shirk your duties. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't put your pound of flesh. I'm not saying don't chase where you want to go from an ambition perspective. But I'm saying do it as a marathon, not a sprint. Careful what you sacrifice. Your life is the most precious thing that you have. The next thing are those around you. Don't treat them as if they are, are castaways. Because when you are old, when it's when the lights are out, when I can't, how does, um, what does Ed say? When my fingers don't play the strings the same way, they're going to be the ones in your corner. And it's, it, it's so important that we invest in that now. Just like I was telling you about the financial freedom, invest in those relationships. Invest in your family. Be kind to your family. Be kind to your family. Because they're the ones that you want to be remembered for. I mean, the, 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 the rest is, is as important. Every person that you interact with, you can touch in their lives. We're all connected. We're all human. We're all on one planet. We're not going anywhere. So you can choose to be kind. It's not going to cost you anything. And if it does cost you, it's worth paying. It's worth paying to be kind to someone because you never know the impact that you're going to have. But when, when, when I come to the end of my days and I, and I relive this life, I want to look back and say, sure, it's been good. I want to do it again. And I promise you that doesn't come from doing month end on a Saturday afternoon while your family should be out. I promise you that. What that a place a bit, to leave it. What it, what what a it, place that was a bit deep. <laughs> that was a bit deep, but it was a brilliant place Sorry. to leave it, Dan. Thank you so, so much for doing this.